Okay, so just put some parameters. Um, well, January, or sorry, January, sorry. Whew. Uh, August has always been, August has always been a time because school is about to start and fall is about to start. Also the beginning of community groups, okay? So the first week after Labor Day, we actually, we actually start our community groups. And so for the last three or four years, we've stopped We've spent the entire month of August simply teaching and equipping about community. This year, you know, we're, we're going to do the same thing. We're just going to uh, just pause and we're going to talk about what it means to live inside community, to equip our, the saints inside community, to encourage us to live inside community, for us to dismiss isolationism and actually walk toward the people of God. So that's what we're, we've done every August, and so we, that's not going to be any different this year. Because of our circumstances, because of the season that we've been in as a community, we thought it would be significant not just to push community groups, but to really stop and pause and talk about suffering and pain and loss. Some of the best equipping, some of the best teaching that we can engage in is actually how we are to get through and, and guard our hearts through seasons of pain and loss and suffering and grief. Just this, last, uh, just this last week, right? In the span of three days, the other elder, Jerry Williams, they've, they've had two surgeries in three days. That's just a lot going on with just one family unit. And yet it's extrapolated all throughout our, our community. All of us have been hit with loss and pain in some way. And so we thought it would be good just to pause, spend four weeks, and just equip the saints on what it means to actually understand loss and pain and what, it, what we do with this emotion and, and how we navigate these waters. Um, we hope that you're here the entire four weeks. Uh, we, we hope you do that, mainly because uh, we'll be building upon all of the concepts. And so this last spring, um, little Alistair, right, um, the, one of the spunkiest of all the kids, we signed him up to play soccer, right? And so they, he get to, you know how Parks and Rec is? Uh, you call Parks and Rec and they just put them on some random team. So uh, Alistair shows up for the first day of practice and he was, I mean, the youngest child out there. And that's not my fault. He just happens to be like the youngest person on his team. And not only was he the youngest, but he was also the smallest. Uh, probably my fault. But uh, and so he's just youngest, <laughs> right, and smallest. And he didn't know anybody. So he's forced on this team, and he's just playing around. And everybody's bigger, faster, and stronger, those kinds of things. He's getting pushed around a little bit. The season goes on, and, and Alistair starts getting a little better and starts to play a little bit more, and then he's starting and all of these types of things. And our team was terrible. I mean, we got smoked like the first three or four, four games. We get a little better. Actually, at the end of the season, we go on a winning streak, and we also go on like a, like a scoreless streak. Like our defense is shutting people out. Like we're getting great. So we show up in tournament play, and we're, we're, I mean, we're just continually just knocking teams out of the tournament left and right. We're like, hey, we may have built something here. So we get to the semis, right? You know, that, that, that game, that crucial game where the winner goes to the championship and the loser has to go and fight for third place. So we get to the semis, and we beat this team before. 
And it was the hottest day in the month of May. And we find our eight and our nine-year-olds playing soccer. The first half went great, tied up. The second half, well, they play and they're just dehydrated and they're starting to like sweat and be red. You know the face, right? They end regulation and they're tied two to two. And so we look at the rule book and like, what do we do with eight and nine-year-olds when, you know, you tie? Well, it's tournament time, so we got to go into overtime, one five-minute period. They play tied up two to two. They play a second overtime period tied up. Two to two. Remember, it's the hottest day. It's so hot that we've run out of water, and parents are running to the concession stand and buying more and more water. So, you, after two uh, overtimes, you then go to penalty kicks, right? Where each team gets five penalty kicks. After the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, we're tied up. Three, three. So, after regulation, after two overtimes and penalty kicks. Again, these are eight and nine-year-olds. Every parent that were once like sitting down going, oh, I like soccer. Everybody's standing up and biting their fingernails because, I mean, how many eight and nine-year-olds have penalty kicks, much less like sudden death? And so after that, we go to sudden death, which is different than overtime, different than penalty kicks. Because if you shoot and score, you win, game over. First shot, tied up 3-3. Second shot, tied up 3-3. Third shot, tied up 3-3. Fourth shot, we miss. So here is a guy on the opposite team. He actually is the best friend of our goalkeeper. Remember, he's the ninth um, person to kick. And so he doesn't have much of a leg because eight stronger legs have gone before him, right? And so he stands there, right? He's probably not even played six minutes this game. He stands there and kind of puts it like this, and it goes in. And we're devastated. How did that ball go in? I mean, the other team goes, yeah! And they go crazy, and we go, no! And people are crying, literally. Eight and nine-year-olds are crying. So you can't tell whether it's crying tears or sweat or it's just red. It's just devastating. And here's what happened. In five minutes, uh, the other team goes and gets their drink and gets their snack, right? And our team goes and we get our drink and and get our snack. But after five minutes, the victor have just kind of stood up and dispersed. And yet the losing team, our team, continues to sit on the bench. They continue to cry. And they have the coach literally right in the middle, right in the middle. And they're surrounding him, just waiting for him to just say something positive. And he speaks into their life. And he begins to encourage them and share things and saying, man, you guys really did it. And then he, the magic happened. He said, would anybody like to say something? And some little kid, I mean, uh, just barely had any playing time. And he says, I think we did our best. And all the parents are like, amen, amen, yes. Yeah, we did. I think we did our best. And then another little kid looks at our goalie. And he says, Mike, we couldn't have made it without you. I mean, he's still crying because it was his fault. There's only two people on the field, right? The dude who kicked it and the guy who let the ball pass. And he says, we couldn't have made it without you, Mike. He kind of shook his head, and people are back, and everybody's clapping again. And then Mike gets the courage to look at our best player. His name was Jen, right? Looks to Jen, who's crying, and said, Jen, this was the best game you've ever played. 
I mean, right there in the baking sun, here we have a little kumbaya moment. And it is just glorious. There's something that happens in loss that cannot happen in victory. Let me say that again. There's something that happens in loss that cannot happen in victory. Sometimes the best thing for our hearts and our minds, sometimes the best thing for our spiritual growth is actually the loss. This um, semester, or the, for the next four weeks, we're going to actually walk through uh, this thing called the J-curve. We're going to talk about it today because we, we've decided to actually set a foundation. But for the next four weeks, we're going to just talk about this. And so hopefully after four weeks, you will have one image some crazy arrow-looking thing, and one term to understand how you and I walk through loss. To put it very simply, as simply, is this idea that this is the direction that Jesus had. This is the direction that Jesus accomplished his great mission, is that first and foremost, he went down before he was able to go up. So Paul Miller has written a, a book, about 300 pages, um, and I'll try to condense it all down in three sermons next week, the week after that, and the last week of August. But hopefully you will understand that this is the direction of Jesus. And what Paul does in a great way is that this is not just directional for Jesus. This is actually the direction for you and I. Because this is the direction of the gospel itself. Jesus Christ first had to die he first had to lose before he was able to be raised and defeat sin and death. As Jesus did, so you and I have opportunities and possibilities to do this over and over and over again. Is there any purpose in pain? And for you and I, we're going to have to just really grapple with the fact that is this a resounding yes or a resounding no? Is this a resounding yes or a resounding no? We're going to be in 1 Peter today, and we're going to do a couple of things in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, you've got the full context, and we'll read it uh, all the way through. Uh, but here we have, this is just going to be, I mean, this is going to be teacher talk. And we're just going to hopefully give you some principles, give you some takeaways, really kind of go to the classroom, take some notes, all right, write in your journals, circle some things in your Bible. Like, we really want to, like, just understand deep in our heart that it's okay to embrace loss and pain and suffering and gr grief. In fact, we have to. And so the six principles are this. Found in 1 Peter 6 is what we're going to do. We're going to actually just see suffering defined, right? We're going to actually look at just two verses. There's a much bigger explanation, but we're just going to look at two verses in the Bible and go, okay, can we have a running definition for this? Secondly, there's a timing to suffering and pain and loss and grief. There's a timing to it. So we need to not just have a definition, but see how it impacts us in real time. Thirdly, um, it, we just need to real, realize that suffering and pain and loss, it's universal. Some of us look at other people like, oh, they've got the best life ever or nothing ever happens to them. But the realization is that it happens to all of us. Fourth is that we got to figure out that there's a purpose to this. 
It's not just by chance. It's not just random. But actually the way that the Lord has created, there's actually a purpose to suffering. And in the same way, and these four and five are tied closely to one another, there's not just a purpose. And purpose kind of gives the, the, foresight, the foresight to it. But the result is actually the aftermath of pain and suffering. That there's actually a result to it. There's something that happens out of suffering and pain and loss. And then lastly, that we are to rejoice in suffering. And this will be the sticking point for most of us, is how you and I actually stand up and rejoice in suffering. Um, I'm a long-winded preacher. I don't know how we're going to get through all six, but the only way to do it is to start, right? So open up your Bibles. First Peter. First Peter 1. And I'm going to read 3 through 9 because this is the full context. It's also in your worship guide. So this is the word of God. First Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This begins with a prayer, proclamation. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. This is the thing that he has done for us because of his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. This inheritance is also undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This resurrection, this salvation is actually being kept for you. Who, by God's power, we are all, that's, a, that's plural they are, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And these are our verses for this morning. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved with various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." This is 1 Peter 3 through 9. So first and foremost, what we have to do, what we, first and foremost, is we're going to have to look at how it is defined in these verses. So remember, this is 1 Peter 6 and 7. This is just what you have in front of you. So how does, the, how does Peter define trials and suffering and pain? He just simply says there's grief there, and there's a variety of them. Okay. So how would he just put some framework around it for you and me? Is that one is that there's grief. There's real grief and pain. There's real sorrow and depression and distress. There is no amount, right? It's just going to continue to come of trials that you and I will encounter. Think of the psalmist. He says it like this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, because I am in distress I am grieved. I am suffering. I'm under loss. So anytime that you and I are in decline, we are facing a trial. Anytime that we see something like just nosedive, just know that that is what a grieved trial looks like. 
whether you have hit financial crisis or not, you're in a trial. You should grieve. Whether you've experienced loss, whether you have some type of suffering or separation, we are inside this grief over and over and over. And so grief is real. We need to understand that. We are grieved by various trials. And this is where various actually comes very, very handy. And the fact that no two of us will go through the exact same trial. None of us can say, hey, I've been there before. Because you may have experienced the same thing, but you've never experienced from that vantage point. And so when there's a great, uh, uh, like, devastation, whether it's an earthquake or a hurricane, yes, those, all those people can say they have a similar situation, but all of them lost different types of property and different types of people in different stages of life. It comes in various waves and forms. No two people suffering is alike. And so what do we do with that? We just need to realize that, one, we're going to be grieved by that, but then, two, there's various tri- uh, trials that we go through. Some of us have, we grieve because in our past there, are, there is divorce in our life. And so that one moment or that season of loss continues to put grief on you and, and, and on, on the people around you. And so note two, divorced people have the exact same story. In the same way that some of us have experienced unemployment, where just this idea of security just falls out from underneath us. To the extent of grief and pain and trials, let's not forget that even our middle schoolers and our high schoolers and our college students, they are going underneath just the microscope, microscope of cruelty around them. They will walk down the halls and simply be picked on or bullied or or demeaned because of the way they look or the way they act or an accident that happened. And that one label may be put on them for months, if not years, how cruel this life is. We we may not forget that this may be not just the death of a loved one or a loss of a job. Maybe it's just the wounds of other people's other people's words. Some of you have lost health. Some of you are looking in the rearview mirror of your life. And there's now less years that way than this way, and there's all kinds of regret. And so there's a grief and a loss there. Some of you simply cry just to cry. Sometimes um, we've fallen in love. And we've gotten attached to the person that you thought was going to be the one, only to see that romance collapse right in front of us. And so if we're going to define suffering, we need to realize that there's real grief that happens and that there's no two trials alike. And these are just some running things. Secondly, we need to understand that there's timing involved as well. There's timing involved. So in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. There's two things that you need to know. One is the, the word now, right? If you're going to understand suffering, you probably need to make it present tense. If you're not making it present tense, then you're not adequately looking at the world. Mainly because we are in a society that wants to dismiss and run away from all sense of pain and loss. And so we were either self-medicate just to try to make it go away, all right? Or we try to manage it in some way. 
And so we need to realize that this suffering and pain and loss, it is now with us, currently with us. Let's span our horizon and understand that often suffering and pain finds its way to our front door and actually in our laps. We can't hide from it. We cannot banish it. It often returns and comes back to us. There's real grief and pain and loss that's real. Though now, and then the other kind of timely myths to this phrase is though now, but then for a little while. And so yes, it's present tense. And yet in this little phrase, what Peter is trying to tell us is that one day all pain and suffering and loss will what? It'll come to an end. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it's just a momentary affliction. And so it may feel like the weight of the world is on you now, and that's true and real. And yet one day, there will be a day when all of that will cease and stop. It will not crush you. The thing that you are going through, the things that is hurting you so badly, it's not there will be a day when the now will stop. Because there's one day when the resurrection of Jesus will come back and claim you as your children forever and ever. You know the scriptures, but let's apply it to suffering. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. All sickness and death are erased. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Suffering's timing is real and present. But brothers and sisters, those who are experiencing extreme pain, just know that it's just a little while. It may seem like forever. It may seem like it will never end. But let me give you hope this morning that it will come to an end. The heartbreak, somehow, someway, God will heal. We need to realize that now for a little while. So not only do we have suffering's definition and timing, but the third thing we need to realize is that it really is coming for all of us. I mean, it really is. It's going to happen to us all. And so this is very simple, but you can't dismiss that pronoun. That in this you rejoice, thou, therefore, uh, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You, 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 you. Individually, corporately, we will all go through trials. This comes in very close and personal to us. And so you suffer and you pain, and there's no exemptions. There's trials, and there's suffering, and there's all kinds of things that happen to us that we wish would never happen. And here's what we do. Here's what we do. Because we hate pain so much, we will do anything to avoid it, right? Am I the only one here? I mean, think about, I mean, think about the, just the measures that we go to stop pain and suffering in our everyday life. We will do anything to get rid of it. And yet, it's all coming for us. It's all coming for, for us. You don't believe me? Oh, brother. That dude's looking rough. That's a rough looking dude. It is coming for us. Oh, that's me, right? Thank you, Face App or whatever. I mean, that's, whoa, baby, right? It's, it's going to come for us all. 
this morning just for, you know, just to see if it's happening to us all. This morning I just, I just opened up um, a news app and I typed a few things. Today is August the 4th, the year 2019, and these are today's headlines. People have been shot this week at a festival in California, a Walmart in El Paso in late, late last night in Dayton. All totaled, 34 dead and 50 wounded. The next headline, that Iran has seized another foreign tanker in the Persian Gulf. Number three, are there really children in cages at the border? Number four, there's unequal pay for females in the workplace. Number five, does anybody want to look inside Jeffrey Epstein's little black book? Those are just a simple, just understanding of what is happening today to all of us and all around us. It's happening to us all. You see, we're not alone in this. So you have been grieved by various trials, but we're not alone in this. You see, those scriptures tell us that the one who is most grieved And the one who has the most sorrow and acquainted with the most grief is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah says, and quoting, that he is acquainted with our sorrows and grief. He will not leave us alone. Jesus' life and our life is not going to be devoid of pain and loss and suffering. If you look at Jesus' life, it was not devoid of pain and suffering and loss. In fact, that's the very thing that defined Jesus' life. And so if God the Father, the holy and perfect one, would not spare even his own son, what makes us think that we will dodge suffering and pain and loss? The fact is, we can not. And here's the point of this, is that oftentimes in our pain, in our suffering, in our loss, we begin to question God. Is God good? I know he's great, but is he good? And in that, we start isolating ourselves and looking at God and the injustice that God has bestowed upon you, this thing, this weight, this terror that we will never be able to erase or get out from underneath. We will never be able to dodge it. We will always be defined by this thing. And Jesus says, I just want you to look at Jesus. It's not, it's not that you are, like there's anything wrong with you. It's not that there's something that you're doing that I'm being cruel to you. In fact, this, there's something, there's a result to it. Oftentimes in our pain and suffering, we point our fingers at God, but what we're really doing is in our heart, we're doubting, Lord, do you really love me anymore? Have you left me and are you going to leave me forever? Just know that the one that was the most grieved and the one that faced the ultimate trial was Jesus himself. Number four. Oh boy, let's get away from him. Number four, the purpose of suffering. We got we to fly, y'all. Purpose of some. So that. So there's a purpose to this. There's a so that. There's a reason for it, right? Isn't that good news for us? Is it's not just, just, just out there. 
So that, and here's where, this is where we really need to dig in. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. So what is the result? What is, I mean, what is the purpose of these trials? What's the purpose of that grief? It's for your faith. What is going on every single time pressure is put on you is the fact that your faith is under fire, not your body, not your circumstances, nothing. It has to do with your faith in God. Though you have not seen him, I love him. That's a faith moment. So that the purpose is, brothers and sisters, it has to do with your faith in one you have never seen. Are you going to hold on to him or let him go? So that you'll be tested genuinely of your faith. There's something that will happen. This faith will be more precious than gold. If you go through the refiner's fire, this faith is going to be purified better than gold itself. Even today, there is a gold standard. Why? Because it's pure and beautiful and good. So that your faith will be more precious than gold. And even this gold, this gold is going to perish, though it's been tested by fire. But your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. This is our faith that we're talking about here. And so what trials do and what pain does, in the same way that you see here that this gold is purified, this idea is that what pain and loss and suffering does is that it brings out our impurities. It brings those impurities to the surface. And so a little bit of research tells us that when they're, when they're molting things, right? So these precious meadows, I think they, they put them into, they say, anyway, they, they bring them down to a liquid form. And all the impurities will rise to the top. I don't know how that happens, but it does. And then they'll actually pour out the impurities off the top just to keep the purity there. And so this is what is happening inside your trials, is that you are being boiled. You're being reduced to a liquid form. Why? So it will pour off the dross that is on the top, the impurities that are on the, on the top. So this is what happens. And so what naturally comes out of our heart and our mind is fear. We are afraid when we are, we are uh, undergoing um, great trial and loss. When I think about potentially losing, you know, someone around me or having to counsel one of my teenagers through a crisis, the one emotion that comes first and foremost is fear. What will happen if and what will happen now? So this thing, this thing that is going to be purified in us is this idea that it'll bring the impurities. But not only fear, but anger. Why did this happen? Or why does this keep on happening? Over and over and over, we continue to doubt and ask questions. We just get good and mad when we cry and when we mourn because there's no outlet. We want to blame a doctor. We want to blame ourselves, but there's just no way. Faith that actually becomes more pure, more precious than gold. And so that is what is happening in our suffering is that somehow, some way, our faith can actually be more valuable, more precious than gold. 
Fifth is there's a result. That because of this testing by fire, because of this purification, the result of suffering is that, may, that we may be, that your faith may be found to result. I'm dying to hear the answer to this, right? Like what is, actually is the goal of this thing? The praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the result. Is that we want to get through suffering successfully, don't we? Don't we want to come through this well and on purpose and, and with a result? The fact is we can do that because the result is the fact that we are resting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Guess what? This revelation of Jesus is solid and secure. He's the anchor of our soul. This person and work of Jesus, he's already, he was and is and is to come. This person of Jesus Christ, he's the one who came to earth to live and die. The person and work of Jesus Christ, he's the one who's defeated sin. We've got sin problems. He's come to defeat death. We've got a death issue staring us in the face. He's come to give us victory over all things. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The result is, is that we get to praise him. We actually bring glory and honor to him. This is the result, is that because you did it perfectly and I'm able to do it imperfectly, I want to praise you for withstanding all that life threw at you and doing it perfectly and securely. So the question is, what if bad can be good? Could it be that bad can be good? And if that's true, this is where it sticks. In this, you rejoice. In this, all of these things, in this, you rejoice. The only way that you can rejoice in a hard place, the only way that you can rejoice in a hard time, the only way that you can re rejoice in an impossible situation is if you first and foremost have the person and work of Jesus Christ only in focus in what he has done for us. We rejoice in what Jesus has done for us because he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground, and what's the phrase? And dies. It remains only a seed. But if it dies, then it will bear much fruit. One pastor put it this way, that Jesus made his maximum contribution at the moment of maximum suffering that Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the only way that we can rejoice is not even in our suffering, but that he's doing something, that he's going someplace, that his maximum contribution happened in his maximum suffering. Maybe, just maybe, the impact that you have on this world will not come from a festival, but actually come when you grieved the most. And so what do we do with these things? So some application questions for you. 
I'd like for some time this week for you to jot down in your journal and just think about the three hardest things that you've ever experienced. And I'd love for you to call a friend or a family member and just say, hey, can I tell you about the three hardest or maybe just the hardest moment in your life? I have this passage on my mind. I just need to kind of just express what happened in my heart and soul. But it would be good just to reflect back on the three hardest things that you've experienced. I think it would be a good exercise for us to go, the you is personal and real. The second is it would be great for you to memorize Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he answered me. It's just this hope that God is not leaving you alone in your distress. It's not just to just stay under your biography, but also to turn to the scriptures, to memorize that short little psalm, and to have that and hide that in your heart. And then lastly, and this is kind of moment here for, for communion. Right now, is there grief that you're suppressing? Is there something that's happened in your heart and in your life that you're simply, that you just pushed, 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 and you're just not coming to a reconciliation with? If that's you this morning, we've got men and women in the back that would love just to pray with you. They're not going to offer you any solutions. They can't make this grief go away, but they can pray for you. They can pray Psalm 120 over you. But if that's you this morning, if there's just grief that you're just simply continuing to push down, right, and not, not living, to bearing much fruit, we would encourage you just to have a hard conversation with the Lord and a hard uh, conversation with someone maybe and to be prayed for. Ultimately, men and women, this is the story of the gospel. That this is the seed that went down into the ground and died. This is Jesus Christ who gave his body and his blood for us so that we can live. This is the story of the gospel, that Jesus Christ went down. He died so that we could live again. Let me pray for us. Jesus Christ, you are the one in whom we claimed victorious. You are the one who did all this for us and for our behalf. This is the table of remembrance. Help us to remember it. Because this table rep represents defeat, brokenness poured out, things that look destroyed and not, not whole anymore. And yet you have another vision for this picture. Instead of defeat, you see victory and life and life abundantly. Help us to cling to our grievous and loss. And plead to you, Lord, bring a realization that you have a purpose for this in our heart and our soul. And we ask this in Christ Jesus. Amen.